This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. So, all right, you guys, I'm doing something totally different today. As you know, usually I have stories from you or I am answering your questions and today I'm going totally out on a limb and invited somebody who's been like massively influential in my life and I thought you know what (laughs) if he has taught me so much I'm sure that he's going to have so much wisdom to add for you so welcome Rob Bell. Annie Grace it's so good to be with you. (laughs) Oh my gosh I um my wedding gift to my husband was all of your NUMA videos Oh, wow. That's going way back. Yep. And then I watched you in Denver. The goat has left the building. You brought a live goat onto the stage. Oh, sure. (laughs) Boy, those are deep cuts. That's going way back. And then um, many times at the Paramount Theater, we did your How to Be Here day-long workshop. And yeah, I'm, I'm outing myself as having followed you for a very long time. And that, that's, Wow. Wow, so we have all sorts of history that I'm just now learning about. Yes, so amazing how that works, how you can have such an important mentor and have, um, it's just great, it's just so cool. So, uh, wow, I, um, I just finished your book, your newest book. I've read pretty much everything you've written, um, starting with Velvet Elvis. And this book is so beyond, I everybody needs to read this book, but um, I have so many like specific, specific questions and things that I want to dig. Okay. Good. Let's go. You talk about having a problem, like not having a problem, but like when somebody, you talk about midnight oil, you talk about the story when you're going to your first show and you're watching midnight oil and they're up there on the stage and in your history, people who had been trying to solve problems in the world had been doing so with a lot of emotion of um, just not happy or positive emotion. And you saw something in this band of them being in resistance, them being activists, but with joy. And I just like, it just cut to me so deep because where did we get the frame that in order to fix stuff we have to do it with all the heaviness and all the weight oh my goodness yes i mean and and actually the question underneath what you're saying how is a person's heart actually transformed yes so that you live in new ways naturally naturally and in some ways effortlessly like i had seen guilt trips i mean you you can make people scared and threaten people with punishment and get them to do all sorts of things or you won't get a reward or you'll get a bad grade or you'll get your pay doc like you you can get a little bit of correction but it doesn't actually get anywhere near heart and soul so i'd seen soccer coaches history teachers you know what i mean like i'd seen as a kid people try to get like change to happen because of that sort of thing. And then I'd seen people who had some element of joy, but when that band Minette Oil, that would have been the fall of 89, 1989. 
they were speaking about environmental injustice and aboriginal rights and corporate greed but the show was like this raucous celebration of life these two things resistance and joy in the same place at the same time like it just my 19 year old brain like heart <laughs> yeah then interesting how the people we become there are these moments way back there that shaped us it's like I, seeds got planted i feel like yes and in this um there was something in me especially when i was really struggling through you know drinking way too much just to bring you up to speed two bottles of wine a night every single night imagining that it was like literally the duct tape that was holding my whole life together mm. and really it was the thing tearing it apart but i didn't have that awareness i i, I actually thought alcohol was my best friend and I remember thinking, well, if, if the other path is, you know, just being outside of the whole thing, like not being able to be involved, not being able to, um, cause I, I had a friend and she was sober, but very miserably sober in a, in a way that it was very much from a punishing place. It was a fear-based thing of having her you know, risking everything in her life. And so eventually people have basically an intervention and she's like, okay, I guess I just have to do this thing. And for me, I was like, gosh, things are going to have to get a lot worse for me to entertain that I'm going to, you know, turn off this. But then I discovered something different. It was, it was really a new question. And it was like, well, well, what am I missing out on? Like, what if it is better on the other side. Like, have I even ever considered that? I have even ever tried that. And so one of the things that I do is called the alcohol experiment. It's like, just get people to try it. Like, what if it is better? Like, let's just have an hypothesis that maybe your life could be a little more joyful and, and go into the whole thing with a spirit and an attitude of, of possibility and curiosity and, and hope. curiosity. Yeah. 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 Curiosity is the engine. Curiosity is profoundly underrated in the world the question is the nuclear engine of life because a question a line of inquiry curiosity begins from a like think about it like as a as how the heart is tilted its beginning point is that there's more so it's tilted and humility is actually a much better understanding of the universe which is less about beating the person down and more about opening a person up. Oh, we're just getting started. There are all sorts of ways to go about this. So just even as a starting point, it's energetically a, a completely different kind of thing to be in curiosity. And if you, if you can move past self-loathing and resentment and just in a place of curiosity or move past, by the way, predetermined outcomes, I'm yeah. going to that if I make this change, and, and it doesn't matter if it's alcohol, by the way, like anything that you say, oh, I've got this little voice in my head and I both want to be doing more and less of this one thing at the same time. And I've got this inner fight. And usually when we have that inner fight, that inner dialogue, you talk actually a lot about like, um, for you, it was this, this need to be on the go, on the run, pleasing. In Keep the moving. Stay Keep a step moving. ahead of the pain. <laughs> <laughs> and so how can you shift from that place of you know needing to escape the feelings to get into a place of curiosity about why you're doing this thing to escape whether it's keeping moving or or drinking or 
anything else, all of the things that we do to escape the feeling of, we don't even know what feeling we're escaping, I would say. Like, yeah, and, and at some level, uh, I interview the feelings. I talk mm-hmm. to them and ask them questions and I assume, well, they're real. So what kind of universe are we living in? Is it ultimately an adversarial relationship where it's you against the thing? Or is it, an, is it a place of love and generativity, which means it keeps making more? So like, what do you do with the feelings? Follow them. Uh, my wife, Kristen, and I talk about follow it back to its cave because it appears like a monster. It's here to devour you. You think about anxiety, anger, despair. They present themselves as monsters mm. that are going to devour you. But if you follow them back to their cave, see what they, where they live, my assumption is they're here to tell you some truth. So I just begin with whatever this is, however painful it is, it's some truth and apparently I'm not listening in other ways. So uh, my wife, Kristen, does all this interesting work on anxiety. Anxiety for many people is something to be eliminated Mm -hmm. as opposed to something to be listened to. So if you turn anxiety from a problem to be eradicated to a truth that is being spoken to you, then you listen to it because it's here to tell you something which is very, very intimate and personal, but it also is a reflection of what kind of universe we're living in. So all of this is both personal and cosmic. So if the, if the feeling isn't here to, I think we run because we assume it's here to destroy us or punish us, like how you described it as a beast. Right, 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 right. Or you think about despair. None of this matters. What's the point of any of it? You follow that. You follow that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are on a ball of rock hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. (laughs) This is an extraordinarily bizarre experience we're all having. And and you can skim across the surface of that or at some level make peace with it. And that leads you to a wonder and awe about your own existence. What are we doing here? What is this? And I probably shouldn't do a job I hate. It's just a fleeting experience we're having and then it's over. We might as well give yourself to something interesting. It can lead you into all sorts of new territory, which feels very counterintuitive. You've been raised in a world that was all about being right and get a good job and go to school, like all the sort of, um, can be very counterintuitive to go, ah, your heart's telling you the truth. It's been telling you the truth the whole time. So the thing that we're medicating away from. Yes. Instagram or alcohol is really something we need to get still and listen for. So, so well said. This system that we are in is a world-class numbing system. Mm. It has provided us with more ways to numb ourselves, more than humans ever had. So it's important to remember this is actually unique in history in that so many things are at our disposal. So many numbing devices are at our disposal. Uh, But the silence and stillness, not numbing it, but sitting with it is uh, where all the extraordinary stuff. Scientists are now saying that the universe is about 
4% known matter and about 96% dark matter. So black holes, dark matter, dark energy, they don't really know what it is. We have the first picture a couple of years ago in the New York Times of an actual black hole, but 4% of the universe is made up of actually known matter. And yet, Annie Grace, what scientists say is that that 96% dark matter is absolutely necessary for our universe to be what our universe is. Which wow. is so poetic at some level to me. Like the dark matter, the thing that everybody's paralyzed, catatonic, whatever you do, don't go into your unresolved stuff with your family of origin or your, whatever you do, avoid that stuff. But it's, there's so much life in there. But so reading, so how, how the book started, Everything is Spiritual, it is like probably the fourth, you know, when you get the messages and they come from all the ways, it's the fourth time in probably four weeks. So I read the book in like two days. It's very, very, couldn't put it down, but that this family of origin conversation has been yes. like in pushed in front of me. And, and I have been somebody who's been like my parents uh, so my dad was raised Jewish in New York City. My mom was raised, um, I think, like Christian or Catholic, but with some kind of like Judo-Christian religion. In, and they both left as hippies and basically in vans, traveled across the world in the 60s, moved into a tiny, met each other on a mountain, moved into a one-room log cabin, no running water, no electricity, um, off the grid where my dad still lives. And so I was raised without television, without a bathroom, with without, we, we had an outhouse without anything. We had to go get water at the spring, which was a few hundred yards away. And so I was like, oh, they put all of that away and this is what's new and this is what's real. So from a very young age, I have this belief that like, oh no, you just reinvent yourself. And, and oh. everything back there is just back there. And, but there was a reason they left. And only now, and I'm like, I need to understand why. Why did they right. leave? everything why did they leave the jewish religion why did they leave the the traditions like why did they go and abandon everything to the point where my dad like literally moved off the grid to where he didn't own anything with an engine until i was born and he was forced to buy a chainsaw because he couldn't keep the cabin warm enough um without a chainsaw to cut firewood so I'm like oh there's something here what happened <laughs> you like in the book i talk about we each uh, a child is not a blank slate. You're born like on stage in a play and mm -hmm. we're in like the second act and a bunch of things have already happened and a bunch of people are speaking lines. <laughs> so, and this is not nostalgia. This is not being stuck in the past. This is fascinating. Right. Like the, why wasn't New York a place that he called home and stayed there? What happened in New York? Cause you were born into a story that was in response to an earlier chapter that profoundly shaped you. Cause that's what we are. We're this amalgamation. We're a duct taping together of all these different stories. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and for so many people, it's like, no, I only go forward. I don't need to go back. But, the, but there's so much fascinating stuff that's actually shaping what it is now and where it's headed. Oh, I've, I've been very, that's, that's with me, very guilty of that. Like, oh no, like we just need to focus on our feelings and thoughts about now and forget, forget back. And I think your book was literally like the four things. Like, no, 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 there's, there's something else here. There's something in this generational 
aspect and in, in what everybody before you has been doing and by yes. the way like um in all aspects of it when you at the end of the book um well you tell like the best story ever <laughs> about like the little fella i'm not going to give it away because <laughs> i feel like it has to be this major curiosity bomb but like no, it but, would... by the way when I, when i was writing and realized Oh, this is exactly where the book now would like gently end. No, don't end it. Do this. Do this. And then there we oh, the, the amount of fun. So you enjoying that is brings me great joy because at the mo when I when I realized that's what had to happen. <laughs> oh, it was it was it, the best thing and and i'm sitting there reading it. my kids keep interrupting me i'm like no you can't interrupt me why what are you reading no well just i'm going to tell you about it later um but it was so funny anyway but the point you make is that actually um okay so i'm going to go kind of a different direction with this question because i do kind of want to keep that story sacred for like but the point you make is that most of what happens happens out of death so if you look at like to use a different analogy for the same thing if you look at a like i'm looking at a pine tree outside my window there are a thousand pine cones on that pine tree all of those pine cones will fall and maybe one of them every 10 years is going to actually make another pine tree right and so actually all of those other pine cones have yes. to die and yes. it's massive numbers game and so and and this is true from like the parable of the sower like some of it's going to get choked out some of it's going to this some of it's going to that and and then some of it and then i had been in a place where in my heart like i just had been struggling so hard to make sense of of this this numbers game right and yeah. then i remember that i felt like i was just kind of tapped on the shoulder is like remember the other part of that verse that the things that do come up they're going to multiply and they're going to multiply 10 60 100 times so yes it's a numbers game but it's a numbers game with great flourishing and great life on the other side of it but I do feel like in my work, and I'm sure you feel the same, when you have a heart to reach people and help, and you see that it is a numbers game, you know? I mean, a book sold, like how many books are even picked up and how many of those are yeah. part of the way and how many of them are read all the way? And this is a completely selfish question, but I'm just wondering how you make peace of this sense of, there's a lot of people that are, that could, that I think would benefit from the wisdom that you personally bring into this world that are never going to hear it. And I feel the same way about my work. Like it is. Oh yeah. That's a really, really good question. Um, yeah. Somewhere along the way, you have to make peace with the limits of the gift you give the world, that the joy has to be in the giving of the gift. Because if the joy is in the outcome, whether people like it, how many people like it, then you've just handed over your joy. You, you have just handed all this power over. And what's interesting is like, if I were to ask you, well, okay, so how many people need to respond for you to feel good about it? You don't have a number. No. And if you, and if you did have a number, then as soon as you got that number, a few more would be fine. It does, that the numbers, um, yeah, I just had some experiences in my 20s when things got really big all, all, and it didn't fix any, it didn't answer any of those questions. It just was more. You always it was like, it was more. 
Um, so everybody's wildest, your sort of wildest, wow, what would it be like to have something just catch fire? It did, and it just left an existential thud in my heart. So I got there th through the pain of, oh, there is no, this game doesn't have like a, a an end point. There has to be some other way to play it. There has to be some other way to see it. And that's when, like the section in the book about you give the gift that you can with everything you got. That's, and then if just one person even responds, mm -hmm. you, like you reading my book is just, it's beyond words to me. And that's actually the, the when I can tell and it just takes a second talking to somebody when they're like trying to build their social media, they're trying to like, it. And no, it's not, no, no. I'm like, oh, they're in for so much pain. <laughs> you, not, not, in, not in a, like a, just writing that whole thing off, but just in a meaning like more, 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 more numbers, more followers. It, that, that um, it has to be the craft. It has to be the gift. It has to be the subtleties and nuances of the work and how to say it, do it, craft it, help. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, where all sure. the stuff is. And so, then if somebody responds, it's like the most amazing thing ever. There's a certain innocence that is actually the answer to your question. I get to do this and somebody somewhere is moved by it. No way. That is amazing. <laughs> it's like literally it's, it is preserving your own innocence. Oh, that is great. Yeah, for me, it came because I really wrote my first book just for me. And then I put out, I put out like just, I had typed it and I, um, in my journals because I had typed it mostly in airplanes and whatnot. And I put it out in like just a PDF on a web page is all I could figure out. I didn't know how to do anything else. And like 20,000 people downloaded it in two weeks. And I started getting yeah. letters from all over the country. Yep. And it turned it into something I did for me into something that I saw that I could help other people with because these letters were so beautiful and so profound. But with that, those, let me get emotional about this. Uh -huh. But with those letters, there was this sense of like, oh my gosh, but it's only like, who haven't? I, like, yeah, okay, right. so this is something that right. I have that I know can right. help people. Well, how can I put it somewhere bigger? How can I like get it out? Like, so yeah. I figured out how to make it a book and I self-published and then that was, you know, great. And then at least it was I on Amazon, but then, you know, I was like, okay. And then I ended up, it went viral again. So I sold enough copies to traditionally publish. And, but you're right. It, it hasn't mattered because that weight of people that I feel like are, are stuck or suffering that this message yeah. of compassion and science could help yeah. still feels like a weight. And I'm like, something has to give, like, I, I can't yes. do yes. this thing forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not my weight to bear. And I think I know that in my head. And I think it's like, yeah, about getting it into my heart to where if somebody expresses gratitude, I need to be able to allow that in instead of having this sense of like, oh, that's so awesome. But what about the, you know, the people that aren't here now, you know, and it isn't even about like me for me. It's just this sense of like, I had so much pain in my mm -hmm depth mm -hmm. of this mm -hmm. experience with alcohol that, um, and, and I saw my kids having so much pain and like, 
so yeah, and I think it brings me right back to my very first question of like, okay, so you saw midnight oil in the doing something different with joy in the in the resisting in the activism with joy, and what is at the the crux of that? Yeah, you have to make peace with your limits and all of the people everywhere never belong to you in the first place. Mm. They're, they aren't yours in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's so egotistical when it comes out of my head or when I, when I hear it out loud, I'm like, oh, uh, like it's like real. No, it's, no, it's, it's the normal, how do you say this? like you and I, we experience something and you naturally want everybody to experience it. So that's just very normal. Yeah. It's very normal that we would want everybody everywhere. And yet you have to let everybody everywhere have their own experience. Cause that's how you got there is it, fo it found you, you found it, you stumbled into it. It, um, yeah, there's a deep mystery here. It's like, you have to make peace with it. And, I don't know how that works. One more, like, like when you're out, do you stay one more night, do one more city, mm -hmm. miss your family for one more day, then come home, but you help these people. But it's like that soul math. <laughs> and yeah, these are, this is all the discernment. Like I always, every superpower comes with an underbelly and everybody has a superpower. Everybody has that thing they do that they can just do naturally that is just them. It's their essence in flow. And then there is the, uh, the flip, the, the vulnerability that that superpower has within it, that you just have to make peace. So you can connect with all these people and help them. And the flip side will be, what do you do when you can't? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, but, so that's why you can only, you have to come back to the present moment and the thing that you're doing, because anything other than the present doesn't work. And I the think future, the past, it doesn't work. You gotta be only, you can only be here. So it's actually the pain that you're expressing. If you can convert that into, oh, the only thing I can do is be here and do this. Like all I can do right now is talk to you, which is mm -hmm. the best. Yeah, it is the best, that's so true. And I think in, in the story that will leave curiosity building, the essence of that story is that through all of this death, there is life and it's the most beautiful life and that life has to be celebrated, you know, and it's then the focus is on the life. The focus is on, okay, what is, like you just said, this is the conversation. This is what's in front of me right now to do. Yeah, this that's it. That's, it. that's it. And, and most people and, and all your friends who are listening, the anxiety, the stress, the tension, most of the time, if you sit and take a deep breath, it's from not being here. Mm. Most of the time. It's at the heart of almost everything is they're not just, you're not just here. So for so many people, the, the attention is actually, but what if? But we're not there, we're here. So that's why every, every, every wisdom tradition uh, presence in this moment is all there is. And now you have quantum physicists and scientists talking about time is actually an illusion of the past. You could, all your memories can only happen in the present. Wow. All of your thoughts and dreams about the future can only happen in the present. That, that 
this present moment is the only thing that actually goes on forever. So we now have people acknowledging there is no now in terms of time, space-time continuum. It's just all in the next, I would argue, five to 10 years, how people understand time is gonna, they're gonna go a massive shift. In the same way that people used to think the earth was flat and then discovered it's round, is what's going to happen with our perceptions of time. It's gonna be amazing because of how much of the problems that people live with come from a, a misunderstanding of time. Well, yeah, I mean, the idea that you're talking about, about like even just slicing it up for the first time ever, like, right? Like we've compartmentalized it and put it in these hours and those hours. And it's, <laughs> it's just like, imagine when that didn't exist. Like that's crazy and amazing <laughs> and so much freedom. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So what are your practices that you use to practice presence and timelessness? Uh, nothing grand or complicated. For instance, I walk the dog each morning. The dog sleeps on my daughter's bed. So I have open my daughter's door just enough to not wake her up, but the dog hops off the bed. And I'll literally on the walk, especially during the past half year of quarantine, just remind myself that everything that I will need for the day, I already have. And any feeling of claustrophobia or cramped or, whoo, we have been in this house for a half year, the five of us, whoa, this thing is, you'll have what you need. Take a deep breath. You're okay. But like even just the rituals like that, like walking the dog. In my experience, it's the everyday stuff that you see as grounding you and centering you. Once a week, we go to the grocery store. I love going to the grocery store. We're gonna get food, stuff came up out of the earth. We're gonna eat it, stay alive. It's gonna taste good. You know what I mean? Like all, to me, the whole art of it is turning it back into wondrous miracles. Also known as the stuff that you just do. <laughs> That's so amazing. Of course, surfing as well but that's harder to talk about because it's exists in some realm beyond words but uh yeah a normal life with my family here in this house uh is how it works for me i am um, i think i'm finally at 42 making peace with the fact and it actually took a scientific concept which it usually does for me that life is so daily so i yes someone introduced me to entropy and the second law of thermodynamics and how like actually anything, if it was left alone to its own devices without intentional input would devolve into chaos. Look at your house, look at your car. If you just left your car, it would fall apart. Look at your cup of coffee. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I had, I had this deep resistance to like, oh wait, I'm going to have to exercise every day to feel good. I'm going to have to meditate every day. And I think this does come out of really detoxing from the numbing culture and saying, I'm mm. going to do things that make me feel good, but I'm going to have to do it every day. I'm going to have to journal every day. Like, <laughs> wait, what? I'm going to have to read something uplifting every day. And for me, it isn't that ritualistic. Like I don't have time, but I do have these things that I start to notice if I don't do it, something is missing. And just the mental 
I, I wanted to be a little baby and throw a little pity party. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to have to put this much effort into being human. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in my experience, the things that last always have some element of pleasure to them. Like uh, diets built on scarcity don't last because they make you miserable. Misery is rarely contagious or mm -hmm. rarely sticks. So the most important thing is to discover what is it that brings some level of pleasure. So you're not going to go run. You're not going to sit in silence unless, and sometimes there are meditation teachers like just sit there, everything within you is not going to want to do it. You're going to be in, your body's going to be screaming. You're going to be thinking about your grocery list, but just sit. Um, that might work for like a little bit. You know what I mean? And then you're going to, put your cushion away and never sit on it again. <laughs> so there has to be, it has to have some element of pleasure where you're like, this is better. Mm -hmm. And, and for a lot of you think about our culture, the phrase guilty pleasure is an actual cult is an actual phrase. People know like how messed up is a culture when guilty pleasure, if it's pleasurable, it must have some element of guilt to it as opposed right. to a world that is good in its deepest sense before it's anything else. And so that's a really, really important shift that, that, that one has to make. And, and that's what actually sticks. Those habits, those patterns, those rituals. It is um, uncanny because I feel like it, it's at the crux of why what I do works for people is because, and there's a researcher at Stanford, his name is Dr. BJ Fogg, but his research is finally, I love it when science catches up with like what we know in our hearts. Yes, 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 yes. And what I knew to be true in my own journey was that if I did something with a scarcity mindset based on willpower, where I was just going to feel sorry for myself because I couldn't be normal and I was just going to be out on the outside, I would be able to do it for a short amount of time, but it wouldn't be ultimately successful. And I knew that because I tried it multiple times and I wasn't ultimately successful. But when I changed that and it went for me from like, oh, I don't get to drink to, oh my gosh, I never have to drink again. I never have to feel hungover. I never have to wonder what I said or did. I never have to do that again. And I brought that level of like joy to it. Yes. Like it's been effortless and people are like, well, what do you mean effort? I'm like, no, literally like, because my fundamental like heart posture towards it shifted from something I wanted to do, but I wasn't going to let myself do to something I honestly didn't want to do. And yes, there was lots of work in between there. There was lots of reading about alcohol, understanding what it did in the body, understanding what it actually cost physically, mentally, emotionally, all these things. But that posture that I reached was so yes. authentic that it didn't yes. And now I'm like, oh, that's the thing is like, we discount as a society, what truly motivates us. We are truly motivated more than anything else by emotion. We do what we feel like doing. <laughs> Yet we Absolutely. discount it to be like, oh, let's try to do all this stuff we don't actually feel like doing and then guilt ourselves. <laughs> it will never last. So you can go for like, yeah, sure, fine. You can go for seven weeks. Great. And then never again. So we're just looking at this long game. What is it that I might be able to do for a while? Totally different. I love that. Yeah, I can see why your whole thing, I can see why your thing connects with all these people. Yeah. And it's really cool because what you just told me is that 
instead of seeing walking the dog as a chore, instead of seeing, by the way, if you ask 100 people, how do you feel about grocery shopping? <laughs> Don't think very many of them are saying, I love grocery shopping. I love feeling like the food came out of the earth and it's so awe-inspiring and incredible. But you have fundamentally shifted to where the daily brings you deep awe and pleasure and joy. So oh yeah. A journey for you or did it, were you born this way? Uh, I hit my head when I was 30 water skiing. I was doing backflips and had a closed head injury and didn't know who I was. So they took me to the hospital and then they brought me home and I got introduced to my life. So the, the nature of the head injury was like, it's like a bad concussion. My brain was busy, I guess, connecting everything back together so that it didn't have any capacity for the past or the future. I could only be present. So I got introduced. So when we pulled into the house, to the driveway of our house, I could see the house from out, like I was seeing it for the first time, even though it was weirdly familiar. So I was introduced to my boys and I kept asking Kristen, like, when did we get married? Tell me the story. I was hearing, she was telling me all the stories of how we met. What do I, what's my job? What do I do? Um, and the, my, I could only be present. So I could taste food, like almost like a grid of the spices and flavors. Like almost like spatially, I could s s taste something and, and feel it. Like almost like I was in the taste, if that makes sense. It's a, a basically an altered state in which the present was infinitely deep. Most of life, you're coming from there, going here. Do you know what I mean? Boom, boom, minute, 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 calendar. Square, 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 day, day, month, year. But I had this extraordinary experience at 30 years old of only being able to be in the present. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, all that stuff I've been saying on a stage with a microphone is true. There is an eternal now that I had read about endlessly, every tradition, Every ancient wisdom spiritual tradition has some way of naming a particular quality of life in which you're here and nowhere else. And it's got everything you need and it is infinite in its depth and goodness, no matter what you're actually going through. So that's what happened, Annie Grace, is I was at the time the pastor of a mega church in the Midwest, giving sermons to thousands of people, going to meetings. I was running 100 miles an hour and then i'm stuck in my house for a week just babbling like an idiot like look at this wow no way <laughs> and i had an experience of a transcendent eternal now that was formless and unreal <laughs> and uh yeah so then it was like oh then the whole thing is it was almost like it showed me this is what you're going to spend the rest of your life doing is coming back to this moment <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. so now it's just to develop the musculature to be able to live like this all the time yeah that's what happened to me <laughs> it was so a, you, i'm still you i'm actually still i'm still processing how much that experience changed everything what a gift that there is more than enough right here and now. So you don't ever have to be bored again. 
in wide open spaces with no stimulus or numbing is no longer threatening. It's an invitation. So, yeah. So then it's just been, what was that, 20 years ago? 20 years of learning to live like that. I'm still learning, obviously. That's so cool. So you almost started at the end. <laughs> yeah, literally, so like you, you take the elevator, uh, elevator up to the top floor, look around at the view, and then like, okay, now you gotta go down the elevator to the ground floor, and then just take the stairs. Okay. You have to learn. That's fine. So if that's but you've what seen it, the view. So. Yeah. Okay. Great. I'll do that. That sounds fun. That's yeah. Fun. So most people that I interact, especially here in Los Angeles, are moving so fast. And what everybody actually wants is somebody to go, hold on, that thing that you just did, let's go back there. There's a whole thing there that got skipped over. Let's talk about, let's be there for a little bit. <laughs> you said, yeah. um, you, in the book, you talk about like uh, what you do. And of course, when you were asking when you had your head injury, what do I do? There was an answer, you're a pastor for a mega church, but like you said something I thought was really cool. Like, so what do you do, Rob Bell? <laughs> What, what did I say that? In your book, you were talking about oh. on the panel if they asked you what you do for a living. Oh, yeah, and I was like, oh, I, I think my job is to help people reclaim the wonder and awe of their own existence. I think you do it very well, speaking from my own experience. When I saw Everything is Spiritual, the talk at the Paramount in Denver, I um, went out onto my back porch and just laid and looked up the, at the stars for like two hours and just felt the, the weight and the truth of oh, what you said and wow. how it all connected. And it was just like a really cool yeah. experience. Yeah, the universe has been expanding for 13 billion years. And I, I'll never forget when I stumbled across how the universe is expanding, but it's expanding in every point. And so that means the universe is omnicentric, which means every point in the universe is the center of the universe. Because if it's expanding everywhere, then everywhere is actually the center. Wow. So you, so you are in the center of the universe right now, and every one of your listeners is in the center, and I'm in the center. That's, that's like science. Uh, so that's what kept happening to me is, things like your work, things that we actually know, empirically, evidence-based truth has a poetry to it. Mm. Your soul can't help but go, I totally respect that material scientific evidence and I'll take it and work with the poetry of it because it works on lots of levels. <laughs> yeah. It's so true because like I just think of my three-year-old and she wasn't, I was having this thought two nights ago, putting her to bed, just like watching her little face and thinking like we were, she was like late in life, almost, you know, borderline accidental. Um, and I was like, you almost weren't even here and I wouldn't have known. And not only is she here, but she is the center of a, the universe in the way that she is expanding so drastically into yes all of our lives and into everything she does and touches like she is in expansion. And yeah. that's, that's so fascinating because if that's true, which I see it to be true, then 
nobody's expanding in a way that's taking anybody. What comes to my mind is it's not pie. Correct. Correct. Because nobody is expanding in a way. She's not expanding in a way that's taking. She's not taking yes. love from my other two kids. She's actually expanding in a way that's giving. Yes. How yes. cool is that? Right, right, right. And you can see, I mean, you think about economics, politics, education. Think about how many systems are built on scarcity. Somebody wins, other people lose. They're built on a binary. Someone succeeds, someone fails. So in this modern world that we are in, so, so many people from day one were breathing fumes of scarcity. Mm-hmm. That when they're presented with just the tiniest crack of the door to there might be another room than a room of scarcity and lack, it's almost terrifying. You can, I mean, you, you see it economically, the idea that this particular Western free market capitalist, unregulated, barely regulated system is the only way to have it done. It's actually, a, for all of its good, it's actually also a, provides tremendous scarcity. I have to get mine. Going, like there's a, there's a pie and I have to get a slice, my slice, maybe take a bit of the neighbors. And it's not actually how the universe is. So no wonder it makes people exceedingly miserable. It's not lined up well with the very nature of the cosmos. So this, like, I don't even know where this is going to go. So I'm just going to say it and apologies to everybody if this doesn't make any sense. But I read this book a long time ago when like, I forget, somebody older in my life was trying to teach me about money or whatever. And they had me read this book called The Richest Man in Babylon. And I don't really remember a ton about that book, but I remember Babylon. And I remember like, wait, so there was nothing. There was a desert and sand and some water. And humans came and created the most abundant, fruitful nation that we think we've ever seen or known. So, so wait, we have the ability to create out of nothing as hu- like we can put our energy into sand and water and create. So how could there ever be scarcity if that's true? Like, how can it ever not be? Like, how can we have created something like Babylon from nothing? If, I mean, I don't even yeah. know, maybe Babylon's not true, but like, I, I'm like, I was just struck by that. That was the thing I remembered from that book is like, wait, if we have the ability to create, then nobody's taking from somebody else. Well, I'm sure certain people are taking from other people, but, but in the, the theoretical, it isn't pie. Like, it isn't that, like, there is, there is a nature then of, yes. of abundance. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, the general agreement is that the earth can provide, there's plenty of food for everybody in the, in the earth right now. The only reason everybody doesn't have plenty of food is that somebody somewhere is holding up distribution. Somebody is stockpiling while somebody else isn't getting. It's all issues of distribution. And like in the Hebrew scriptures, well, all the way into the New Testament, this word justice is at the heart of everything. What does justice look like? And for many people, justice means vengeance, means they better go to jail for what they did. And that's part of it. But justice on a, in the ancient Hebrew sense, justice was always abundance. There's enough. Mm-hmm. So justice for all wasn't necessarily all the bad people go to jail. Um, there was justice in that sense, but justice was a far wider that everybody has what they need. Wow. So that's always the heart 
and even in the in the ancient Hebrew stories, the way they describe God, divine source, spirit, ultimate reality was also a heart was always a heart for justice. Like there is enough, there is plenty, there is abundance. It is the ways in which we have built systems and gotten in the way of a proper handing out and distribution. That, that kind of brings me almost, I don't know, just going all sorts of amazing places. But one of the places that what you just said is there is enough, we've just built systems. And I see that to be true. Obviously, we're talking about this global level of the earth providing, but I also feel like one of the things that with people that stop numbing, stop drinking specifically, two things happen. Number one is they can no longer abide by the injustices they see. Yep. And so they become people that have to find solutions or another numbing tool. And, and that I think is one of the beautiful, most cool things I've ever seen because now, you know, six years into it, I have people who have done incredible things, written books, starting businesses, um, creating things out of nothing, advocating like, like just incredible things. And, and they'll say, well, it started because I had to stop numbing and then I had to become who I was really meant to be. Um, but another aspect of that, that rings true and is really prevalent to what you're saying is a lot of it for them, we come into it, people come into it with this idea, okay, well, in order to not numb myself, I have to learn to love myself. And I've had this really fundamental disagreement with that in the sense that, no, 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 you don't have to learn to love yourself. You just have to unlearn all the stuff the systems put in the way that prevented you. Because I look at my daughter, she's three, she looks in the mirror, she's like, it's you, I love you. And she's so full of the love. And I'm like, we just, we just put a bunch of crap in the way of it. Like the abundance is already there. The love is already there. We just put all this stuff in the path and it yeah. Something up. My, yeah. My son Trace is 22 and he never stops saying, no, it's unlearning. Oh, that's it's unlearning. So cool. He's always like, no, 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 no. Stop thinking that it's new information. No, no, no. It's a return. It's a reclaiming. It's going back to what's always been there. It's not the addition of some foreign thing you have to go that's somewhere else. Yeah, think about how, like, like what that even does to the body. Like the thing you're looking for, you've had the whole time. No, oh, it just feels good. It just like even at a cellular level. Ah, there's this great line where Moses is being reminded that it's not like you have to go across the ocean or climb a mountain you've had it the whole time which is needed now more than ever so i want to sum this up with i'm going to get emotional again but i think that in my life the gift that you have given me specifically and my husband and our family through everything from watching it something to say before my first live event to uh, listening to launching rockets multiple times um, on multiple road trips when we were navigating the early parenting is that um, in order to live without numbing myself with alcohol, uh -huh. I've had to have a new set of, of beliefs. And one of my beliefs that I had just to take parenting as an example is that, oh my gosh, I would do something, I'd yell at them, I'd lose my temper and I'd be like, I'm screwing them up. 
And like you feel that in your body and it's so intense and it's, it's big. And, and then you gave me this belief that like, no, you can't mess them up. You're here to enjoy them. <laughs> this is what your teachings. And like that changed everything. And I was like, oh, and so you awakened me to this. Not only did you give me some of your very profound ingredients for how to think and feel and navigate this from a place of not only what I believe is true, the unlearning, and, but also you gave me this tool of like, wait a second, I can, I can actually choose that. I can choose to believe that I'm messing them up or I can choose to believe that there's no way I can mess them up. They're on their own path. And all I need to do is, is enjoy them. And how does that make me feel? How does that make me behave? And guess what? One way is a way that I have to numb from. And another way is a way that I, I don't, there's nothing to numb, you know, because even when it's hard, I'm interested in embracing the hard. And um, I mean, since before we were married, you know, we have like, you've been just, I don't know, super influential in that way, just helping me and Brian have just this set of, of powerful truths that, and, and I'd say even more importantly than the ones you've specifically given me, the ability to say, you know what, I can find something inside my own heart that I believe is true, that is gonna make me feel and behave in a way that is congruent with who I wanna be instead of something that I have to escape from. So very heartfelt, thank you. Oh my goodness, that's very moving to me. Wow, mm. thank you been awesome. And I just have to say, I know this is a totally atypical podcast, but I have to say, I wouldn't bring him on if his work wasn't incredibly profound. So if you haven't checked out Rob Bell, this is a really good place to start. Um, is there anything else you want to say, That's Rob? very, very kind. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, struck hearing you say that that there's an ancient pattern that is more needed for people to become aware of right now than ever in times of stress, tragedy, disruption, terror, human beings generally either regress and wish they could go back to an early state that they often then idealize. Let's just make that great again. Or in times of stress, turmoil, tragedy, disruption, human beings let the pain break us open so that we expand and we move into new places and territories. And generally, what's true of the individual is true of the collective. What's true of the personal is true of the political. And like right now, we're going through this great disruption, this massive upheaval. And a person can either deny it, numb, pretend like it's not happening, um, trivialize it, try to go back to some, or you let this break you open so that you expand and grow and love and generosity and compassion. And that's the great invitation before us right now. Yeah, it's it's always been the invitation and it's more than ever right now. And often when you stop numbing yeah. and you see it with yes. both eyes open, you get really scared because it's messy and ugly. Right. And right. I think of it in this horrible analogy, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I think of it as a big zit. 
<laughs> yeah, there you go. Sure. However it works for you. <laughs> you Got to get it out. You have to see what's yeah. under the surface in order yeah. to heal. Yeah, yeah. And then you aren't who you were. You become someone new. Yep. It's amazing. This is fantastic talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. it I'm just... honored to be the Not Normal Podcast. Yeah. That is awesome. I, um, yeah, I was, I always am talking about how I like admire your work and some of my coaches are like, you need to invite him on your podcast. Cause, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm nervous. And they're like, no, just do it. It's like, all right, I'm going to do it. Oh, so easy. Here it is. There we, no <laughs> so problem. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's great talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's Annie Grace. I want to tell you about the most important book that I never wrote. And I mean that. This is This Naked Life. It's 48 true stories of people finding freedom from alcohol. And it's so inspiring. It's our stories, as you know from this podcast, that truly change us, that revolutionize what we believe is possible for ourselves. So it's This Naked Life. You can find it on Amazon or check it out online. Even download it 100% free at nakedlifestories.com. And every single copy that you buy, all the proceeds are 100% committed to keeping the alcohol experiment forever free for anybody who needs it. So check it out. It's such an inspirational book. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.